It's good to see everybody. Uh, what we usually do with the youth, we, uh, we, we hear the word of God together before we go into the sermon. So uh, if you could stand with me as an act of worship. Uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 18, uh, verse 1 through 20. 1 through 20. Um, this is the word of the Lord. At the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, be a great, uh, to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if you, your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, I'm going to pray for us one more time. Uh, just ask uh, the Holy Spirit's help as we uh, hear the message today. God, um, we just ask that you would fill this place with your spirit to soften our hearts. God, would you use me as your instrument? Would you Help the words I speak not be uh, from my own, but be with conviction and power. And God, I pray that you would um, use your word to build up your church, to correct us where we need to be corrected, to even rebuke us where we have fallen astray. And also to point us to the only hope we have, that is Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. So there's this uh, increasing idea that's been going around. I saw a video recently 
And it says, uh, it's this idea that Jesus is dope, but why do I need the church? Uh, but the problem with that kind of thinking is that uh, Jesus is the one who started the church. It was his idea in the first place. And the reason you need the church is because it was Jesus' idea. And today's sermon is actually the second part of a two-part series that uh, Kevin and I have been um, working on together. It's on church membership and church discipline. And the two ideas are linked together uh, because it's through membership we distinguish between the members of the body of Christ, who's in and who's out, um, that we recognize, and it's through discipline, discipline that we recognize when someone who's professing to be a follower of Jesus is no longer living like one. So last week, Kevin preached to you on a passage in Matthew chapter 16, and he kind of alluded to this message a bit uh, last week when he mentioned the keys of the kingdom and the binding and loosing on earth and heaven. And as Kevin shared, this has to do with the function and responsibility of the church and its members to recognize who is and who is not a part of their body, of the, of the church, Christ's body. And in today's passage, Matthew 18, Jesus gives the instructions on the process known as church discipline, which will be explained more as we look at this passage and others. And as Pastor Tony has noted before, these two passages are really significant because they're the only places in the gospel where Jesus actually mentions the word church. And the first time is in Matthew 16 when after Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ, the Savior, the, 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 the Son of the living God. Based on this confession of faith in him, Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church. And not even the gates of Hades or hell We'll be able to overcome it. And in today's passage, this is the only time Jesus actually uh, shares and gives instructions addressed explicitly to the church. And here Jesus, out of all the instructions he can give, he gives one about the process of disciplining someone in the church who is in sin. And it makes sense because the word disciple, being a follower of Jesus has the word discipline in it. To be a disciple is, is essentially someone who's, who's a learner, someone who's being corrected, taught, and rebuked. That discipline is both forming us to be more like Jesus Christ, but it's also correcting us in the, where's, in the places where we have fallen away. And I know what you guys are thinking. You guys are like turned off. At least my youth were like really turned off. They're like, discipline. I don't like that word. It's very uh, off-putting, unpleasant. Um, especially in today's culture where um, we, we live in, in, in the, the culture of, of, of smartphones, culture that's all about you, your preferences, your music, your profile. Um, and so it's, it's very strange to think, what, what, why, why should the church have a say in my life? Why should someone else tell me how I ought to live? The words of Peter Parker, I mean, not Peter Parker, Miles Morales. Nah, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing, right? I don't need the church. Jesus is dope, but I don't need the church. I don't need discipline. And my whole, my, my, what I'm going to try to do in today's sermon is try to convince you, actually, and especially in today's world, more than ever, we need discipline. Actually, deep inside, I believe we all want it. Let me give you guys an example. There is a 
a famous fable. It's called the, the Emperor's New Clothes um, or the Emperor Without Clothes. That's another title for it. And in this story, there's these two hustlers. They come and they come to the city and they're like, yo, king, we, we're going we're gonna to make you an outfit that, that's going to be the most fabulous outfit in the entire galaxy. And so, you know, king's like, yeah, do it for me. and I'll pay you whatever you need. And so they charge him an insane amount of money and they get to work. But they're saying, hey, king, there's, there's a caveat. This is a only the top of the top can actually notice this clothing. Like if you're foolish, if you're like a nobody, you're not going to actually be able to see it. That's how special this clothing is. So they're hard to work and, and it's all invisible. But, you know, the king's like doesn't want to look like a fool. So he's like, wow, keep doing your work. After months and months of work, they finally finish. Right? And they're like, Emperor's time. So the Emperor takes off his clothes. And they, you know, do the motion of clothing him up. It's like, mo-, and they're like, Emperor, you look so great. You're awesome. The whole kingdom, they're going to bow down. They're going to they're gonna think you're the coolest. You got, you got the best drip in, in town. And so he walks out, and everyone's afraid to say the truth because he's the Emperor, and they don't want to look like a fool. And so they go like, they go along with it. Even though he's butt naked, they go along as if he has the most fancy outfit in the world. And all the while, he's been swindled by these two hustlers. And until one little boy starts laughing out loud and says, the king is he's naked, he's naked. All the while, the whole kingdom was afraid to speak up the truth. Only one boy was able to be truthful to say that the king was naked, he was silly. And, and that's the problem. When we live in this culture where we, 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 we don't allow anyone to speak into our life, we become like the emperor without clothes. We think we got it right. We think we got the best drip. And in reality, we're, we're naked. And all the more we need in the kingdom of heaven, we are meant to be accountable to each other. We're meant to be a kingdom where we're meant to be our brothers and sisters keepers. That when we see, especially when our brother and sister, whom we love, is, is in sin, the church is meant to have the authority to discipline each other. Right? And, and why is that so important? Why does why church make such a big deal about sin? It's because sin is always harmful. The cruelest thing you can do, uh, one person said, is to leave someone in sin. And the kindest thing we can do is to do everything possible to get them out of sin. The world's flipped that upside down. The world says it's actually hateful to tell someone they're wrong. It's hateful to actually be truthful. You gotta just go along with them like the emperor with no clothes. You gotta act like everything they're doing is fine. But the Bible says the opposite. It says, and this is regarding parental discipline, right? If, you, if, a, if, a, if a parent spares the rod, meaning they don't discipline their kids, they must hate their child. And so the Bible reminds us that that's not how, who our God is. Our God is a loving father who disciplines the ones whom he loves. That that discipline is the very sign that he loves you, that you are his. And the Bible describes us as sheep, right? That the 99 who are not astray shepherd leaves so that he can find the one who's missing. 
And what that tells us is this. It tells us that we're, in, in the context of discipline in the church, God sees us not as, as people he hates, but the very opposite. He sees you as someone he loves. And if you see the, the repeated line that we saw in today's passage, the little ones should not perish. That's how he sees you. He sees you as Pastor Tony sees Seth or Enoch, that he doesn't want his little one, a single one of them, to perish. That he sees you as a sheep that's lost in this dark world. And one of the, my favorite psalms is Psalm 23. Um, you know, I used to say it before every race because, you know, when you get on that line, those of you guys who are in track and field, you guys know how it feels. It feels like you're walking through the valley of shadow of death. So you, you recite, I, rec, I would recite that to myself and say, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, um, I will fear no evil, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so in that context, we are the sheep. In that context, what it means is that as sheep, we are in a world that's dangerous for sheep. This world is, 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 is not a safe place. This world is trying to devour you there's an enemy, actually, who wants to devour you. And what the Bible is saying, in the midst of this dark world that's evil, God is the good shepherd, and his rod and his staff, they comfort you. Why? They comfort you in two ways. First, they use the, 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 the shepherd uses the, fa- the, the, the staff to, to fend off the enemies. But he also uses the staff to, to pull back his sheep when they're wandering, when they're going off too far. If you guys seen Toy Story, that's what Bo Peep does, you know, <laughs> fishes him in. And, um, you know, but what's the rod for? You know anything? The rod is meant for whacking. What the shepherd does is actually kind of cruel. He, he breaks the limb of the sheep that's wandering. Because sheep are super dumb. I saw like this news article once where one sheep went off a cliff and then 3,000 of his homies followed, and they all died. Actually, they all didn't die because eventually there was enough sheep to create enough cushions, so some of them survived. But that's how dumb sheep are. They, they fall into a hole, the shepherd pulls them out, but the problem is they go back into that same hole. And so what does the loving shepherd do? He maims it. He breaks that sheep's leg. It's cruel. It's painful. But it's all in love. And that's what the Bible is saying discipline is, that the church's discipline is God's love, that he sees you as one of his little ones, that he sees you as one of his sheep, that he's protecting not just from this world, but protecting from themselves. And that's the problem with sin. When you're in sin, you never see that. You think sin is harmless. You think you can get away with toying with it. You think you can get away with living a double life. And that's why God says, you need the church. You need to become a member of the church. You know why this passage is, 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 is supports membership? Because how does the sheep, how does the, the shepherd know that there's one sheep missing? He knows there's exactly 99 and one is missing because he counts them. He knows exactly how many people are in his flock. That's what membership is. God is saying, I want you pastors, my under shepherds, I want you guys to know exactly who the members are. So that when you see one going astray, you go after it. And so 
all those lists in the Bible, you're wondering like, why are those lists of names? Why are those, those, all those long lists of numbers? Like tribe of Benjamin, 4,047, I don't know. Like all those numbers, what that's saying is God is counting his sheep. He knows exactly whose are his and whose are not. And when he sees one of his little ones stray, he says, go after it. That's what church discipline is. It's the loving heart of God for his little sheep, his people who are prone to wander, who get caught up in the tangles of sin, who, who the enemy wants to devour in the dark valley of shadow of death. God is saying, my staff, my rod will comfort you. And so um, I want to give you guys one more example. Um, it was from this, there's this drama that I used to watch, Korean drama. It's called Reply 1988. Um, and in this 1988, there's this kind of really episode that kind of stuck with me. Because in this episode, there's this girl, and she's the main character. No, she's not the main character. The main character is a girl named Tuk-sun. And then she has a little brother, and this girl is her little brother's girlfriend. And he's, she's like a delinquent. Like, and you got to recognize this is happening in 1988, so Korean culture, very different. Back in the day, if you had like red hair, you dyed your hair, you're like a delinquent. You're like a gangster. Uh, you're, not, you're, you're no good. You're up to no good. So this girl had her hair dyed. She, she would get in a lot of trouble. And eventually something happens between the sister and, 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 and this girl, and they get in a fight, like a cat fight. And then they end up at the cops, at a police station. And, you know, in Korea back in the day, um, when there was an uh, incident between minors, you would have to wait for both parents to arrive, Right? And so eventually, Duxon's parents come, and they see the girl with the red hair. It's like, I know you're trouble. How dare you do that to my daughter? How dare you lay a hand on my daughter? And they start, uh, you know, bashing on her, because obviously they got to protect their daughter. And then they wait and wait, but her parents never arrive. And they realize when her sister comes that, hey, her parents passed away in a car accident the year before. And all the while, um, when they, the parents finally hear that, they feel so terrible. Because they've been, like, bashing her this whole time. They, they, like, humbly apologize. Like, we're so sorry. We didn't know. And they invite her. We want to come home and eat food. And it's a really touching scene where she's eating food. And, like, it's been the longest time we've had homemade food. Thank you for inviting us. And, you know, the reason where my, why my hair is red is because my sister, she's going to cosmetology school, trying to make a living for us. Right? And so all this time, they've been judging him, judging this girl. But, yeah, they didn't realize her story. And, and then in a the, the conversation, the, the older sister asks her, like, by the way, why'd you fall in love with my brother? Like, you must have pretty low standards. Like, he's pretty lame. And he's actually pretty lame in the, in the, in the show. And so it's like, what? You have a pretty face. Like, you could definitely reach pretty higher. Why'd you end up with my brother? And she was like, he was the first one. Like, first one for what? And she's like, he was the first one who told me not to smoke. And back then in Korea, like, smoking was, like, a huge taboo and it's for gangsters, right? And she's like, he, he's, he's the only one who actually genuinely got concerned and angry at me and, and actually uh, scolded me. And I thought, and I really appreciated that because ever since my mom passed away and my dad passed away, all I heard was nice things from people. People would tell me, are you okay? Everything's okay. Whatever you're doing is great. And so she became a delinquent, kind of acting out, so she can get some attention. But all the while, what she wanted was discipline. She wanted someone to actually care enough 
to be concerned enough for her to tell her the truth. Hey, the way you're living is not good. I care about you. And so at the end of the, the, the scene, you know, the dad like, kind of rebukes her as her own daughter, kind of scolds her, like, make sure you get your hair changed, you know, stop wearing that you know, heavy makeup and you know, start you know, doing well in school, you know, just talking like a normal Korean father. And, and she replies in this meek, yes, and she's smiling. It was, a, it was a great episode. It reminded me this. Um, same with the youth kids. A lot of these kids, we think that all they need to hear is nice words. But what they need most is actually someone who cares enough to, to speak lovingly, to even correct them when they're going the wrong way. And, and so this is, this, is, this is what Jesus is telling us is, is hard for us as a church when he says we are commanded to discipline each other, when we see a brother or sister in sin, you know, don't use this as an opportunity to gossip. Don't use this as an opportunity to, to, to oh, I, I knew it. Right? I knew it. You're that troublemaker. I knew it before you even walked through that door. He says, go up to that person and tell them what they have done wrong so that they may listen and be won over. Man, imagine if we did that in our church. If we did that, we would never have to have so much drama. We wouldn't have to get to the, the third process of church discipline, which is excommunication, right? We wouldn't have to get there. If we were a community of grace, where we regularly confessed our sins to each other, where we were a place where we would be able to be concerned enough for each other to tell each other the truth, and that when one person repented, just like the shepherd, we would rejoice that they came home. Then our church would look very different. It would be a, a place that really displays the mighty power of our God to save. Because that word of gaining a brother, that's a word of salvation. So that when you, brother or sister, when you call them out and they listen to you, you have won them over. You have won them over you have won their son, soul over. You have kept their soul from perishing, going down a road that will lead to their destruction. And so that's what the Bible calls us to. So I have three points. That first one was that, what is church discipline? It's kind of explained by that. Um, the second question is, why does it matter? Why is it so important to, to Jesus that as a church we practice Church, church discipline. Well, first reason is what KJ said, right? It was, if Jesus is your king, you submit to him. You listen to what he says. What he's, the instructions he gives matters. You trust his process. And the process he gives is, is one where we speak the truth in love. And as Pastor Tony read, the manner we do it is in gentleness. We do it with love. We do, we, when we see a brother or sister in sin, we don't leave them alone. We do whatever we can to call them back. And so what, what is the purpose of church discipline in the church? Well, it's not just in this passage, but we're going to look at a few other passages. The first reason, the first main reason we, we need church discipline in the church is to uphold the honor of Christ. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 to 32 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and body of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, 
as to eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may be con- not be condemned along with the world. One of the reasons church discipline is so important is because it is one of the ways we uphold the honor of Christ, particularly in communion, which we celebrate once a month. Communion is not just a time where we just eat bread and juice, right? It has the significance of the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was given for you and me. And so when you re-eat it in an unworthy manner, when you treat it like normal bread and normal juice just because it looks fun or um, because everyone else is doing it, you're disrespecting the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And this is scary because Paul is saying some people were actually getting sick and even dying because of this very reason. And so the word excommunicate, right? When we, when we see a brother and sister and, and, and we confront them and they still refuse to listen, and then you bring two or three other witnesses, right? Two or, so it's not just your own beef with this person, not just a private beef, but two or three faithful brothers and sisters are agreeing with you. And they still don't listen. Then he says, bring it to the whole church so that the whole church will know this person is no longer walking as a believer and no longer should take part in the body and blood of Jesus Christ, lest they disgrace him. Because the reality is this, when, when we call ourselves a Christian and we don't walk like a Christian, we inevitably blaspheme the name of Jesus because we are his representatives. And like it or not, when, when you call yourself a Christian, when the people see us as church, and we call ourselves the church, but we don't live like it, it brings disgrace and dishonor to the name of Christ. It, it, it diminishes the value of his body and blood to the world, eyes of the world. And so to, unmost, to uphold the utmost honor of Jesus Christ, that's the first reason why we need to practice discipline in the church. The second reason is similar to it, is to maintain the purity and holiness of the church. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5 when there is a man sleeping with his mother-in-law. Well, not mother-in-law, his stepmom, right? That's pretty out there, right? And so his dad's wife, basically, his dad's second wife. And, and, and he says, even the Gentiles, even the non-Christians think this is wrong. And you guys aren't doing anything about it, thinking that's the loving thing to do. He says, cast this brother out. Deliver him over to Satan. That sounds kind of messed up. It sounds kind of mean, but he's saying so that he might be saved on the last day. That's what God is saying. Hey, you deliver him up and you excommunicate them when they are bringing disgrace to the honor of Christ, but also they are starting to affect everyone else because Paul says a little leaven affects the whole lump. You guys know anything about baking? A little bit of yeast is all it takes for it to rise and affect the whole lump. Jesus also talked about this when he talked about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The church discipline exists because in order to fight against hypocrisy, right? When we have hypocrisy in the church, it spreads like wildfire. When we see someone living in a certain way and they call themselves Christian, and it gives um, license to others to do the same. And it spreads like wildfire. And so Paul's saying, 
keep, maintain the purity of the church. Um, I can give you guys a more uh, like uh, real-life example. There was this guy um, a few years ago. name was Robert Long. He had a history of sexual morality, and he was a professing and baptized Christian. And he would uh, frequent these massage parlor parlors. Um, and one day he just shot, shot up the workers. And he killed eight people before killing himself. And after that, you know what happened? People started to, a lot of news articles started to come out and they began to critique the church, that the church didn't do enough. Here's this Christian, another example of hypocrisy. Someone who says they're a baptized believer and yet he shot up eight people, killing people. Right, But you, what, what was also discovered in the wake of the shooting was that actually his previous church had excommunicated him. And you know what happened? The world's, there were still more articles that critiqued that. They were like, hey, the church was, because of their, their uh, mis misogynistic views, because of their um, harshness, they create this monster, Robert Long. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because it doesn't matter whether we, the, the world would always find a reason to critique us. The church was, I don't know if the church did enough. I don't know if they didn't do enough. But the church will always find ways to say, hey, the church wasn't harsh enough or the church was too lax. But as Christians, our job is to follow the instructions of Jesus Christ. And when we faithfully do it in the name of upholding Jesus' honor and, and protecting the purity of the church, and we excommunicate people who, who are clearly walking against the gospel, even if the world critiques us, we did all we can, and we're not held responsible. Um, we can only do so much to restrain the evil of those who live contrary to the gospel. And so, um, you know, that's an example, right? And for those of you guys who, who are thinking, like, why should I want to even be a Christian in a church that's full of hypocr hypocrisy? Uh, that's a common objection I get when I talk to people at church. They're like, I, Jesus is dope but I don't want anything to do with the church. I've been hurt by it. And most likely many of us have been hurt by the church, and I'm sorry for that. Um, but one apologist said this. He said, hey, um, when, when a Beethoven symphony goes wrong, it's, it's not Beethoven's fault. It's, it's the orchestra's fault, right? You don't blame Beethoven. He wrote the notes perfectly. It's the orchestra that's playing it wrong. In the same way, when you judge Christianity by Christians, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is Jesus. And so, in fact, what, 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 what it shows us that is the church is in need of a Savior, that we're all in need of a Savior. We're all sinners, and we need a Savior. Um, I'll give you guys one more uh, reason to, that even though the church has hypocrisy, what, why you should be a part of it. Uh, do you guys have any money right now on you? I'm not trying to steal, but um, the reason I ask is because do you guys know there's counterfeit money out there? There's a lot of counterfeit money out there. Why do you have money in your wallet? Well, you have money in your wallet because you believe that there is a genuine money out there that actually has value, even though there's a bunch of counterfeits. And so counterfeits is not a reason to say that a real Genuine thing doesn't exist. And so to say that because they're hypocrites, Christianity isn't real. 
that there aren't true Christians, there aren't true genuine believers, is not a good answer. It's, it's a cop-out. But at the same time, God hates hypocrisy. That's why he, he, he warned against the leaven of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees, he says, do as they say, but not as they do. Was a they were hypocrites. They were proclaiming one thing, but living a completely different way. And that's why church discipline is necessary for calling out hypocrisy that's in the church, so that the church might be purified. Um, the last reason, and this is the heart of, I think, today's passage and the surrounding verses that we read, is that the purpose of church discipline is ultimately God's love for the sinner themselves. It's an act of mercy that the sinner, when they are confronted, hopefully, they will not perish, that they would repent, that they will be restored. It is the heart of a loving father who sets the boundaries for their children. Right? Imagine if, you know, today's world is really sad. You know, the, the world that these kids grow up in these days is just really sad because um, they live in a world where people who will speak the truth to them is so rare. And that's why they yearn for it so much. You know, in our society, um, and part of it is, is, is part of our fault, right? We are, we're so easily offended. We're so sensitive. We cancel anyone we don't agree with. We cut them out immediately. You don't know how many parents I talk to that say, Pastor Paul, I can't tell my daughter and son what to do. Otherwise, they will shut me out for it forever. I'm afraid of that. I can't tell them even no. That's exactly what they need to hear. Imagine if, you know, Enoch came up to Pastor Tony and said, I need some cola. And he gave him a gallon of cola. He says, Daddy, I don't want to sleep. And he stays up until 3 a.m. That's not what a loving father does. You don't give your kid whatever their desires want. That's the opposite. That's hatred. In today's society, you know, what's so scary is that the coming generation, no one is allowed to say anything about anyone's life. We've all become emperors with no clothing. We think we're wearing high fashion, and everyone just has to go along with it, thinking it will do us no harm. But it's, it's not. It's harmful. It's leading us away a path that's, that's away from the loving discipline and love of our Father. And so our job is... As a church, if we know the purpose of church discipline is how do we actually do it? This is the last point. How do we actually employ this and create this community of grace in our church? Well, first, for those who receive discipline, this is how we need to respond. Um, actually treasure the people who are willing to tell you no. Treasure the people who are actually willing to say you're wrong especially if they're coming from a place of love. And for once, just stop. Before you react, before you agree with, you don't have to agree with what they're criticizing you of, but just stop and think from their shoes. They could have just easily ignored and walked away. How uncomfortable it must have been for them to bring this up. How much love and deliberation did, this, did it take for this person to confront me? You know, when it comes to discipling the youth, it's hard. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not their parent. But some of their parents are so afraid of telling them no if we don't tell them who else will. You know how much anxiety and sleepless nights that pastors and leaders and people who have to actually discipline have to carry. 
you might not have another good conversation with that person again. They might cut you out. So think from the shoe of the person who's actually calling you out that took so much love that they're willing to even be hated by you in order to love you. You might think your friends are the ones who go along with everything you do. In the church, you will find, hopefully you will find people who will not leave you in your sin. And, you know, when you, when you have the temptation to think, I remove anyone who is an obstacle, anyone who is against me, that's the way dictators and megalomaniacs think. So instead, be humble. That's why the Bible says the greatest in the kingdom. Jesus begins this passage by saying, you need to be humble like a child in order to receive, in order to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You need to repent and actually admit and ask for help. You're right, I need help. Trust the process, as they say in Philly. What that means is discipline is painful and it's humiliating. You know anything about the 76ers? Where the, the trust, the process, what it, what, it, what it means is it was this belief that we will go through this humiliating, painful process. But it's all for a purpose. So there was this GM named Sam Hinkie, and, and he came up with this idea of becoming the laughing stock of the NBA and tanking every single game getting blown out, losing in order so that they can gain some young, talented players. And eventually, after a few years, it paid off. And now they have Joel Embiid and they're, they're a somewhat respectable team, right? But it was trusting the process. It was painful, humiliating. It's the same thing. Discipline is painful. It's humiliating. But we undergo it. We humble ourselves to it so that we might for the sake of lasting joy, you endure through it. Secondly, you guys seen the movie Karate Kid, right? Same, same thing, right? There's a boy, he sees, he wants to fight against his bullies, so he wants to learn karate. And there's this old guy who beats up all his bullies for him, so he's like, I want to learn, you're so good. And what the old man does is it just has him do chores for him, like paint the fence and wax the cars. And, and he does this for weeks, and the boy starts to get upset. He's like, why are you making me do this? When are you going to actually start teaching me? And that's when he, he does that. And then he says, wax on. And then paint the fence. And he blocks all his moves. And he realized that it, was, it felt demeaning. It felt humiliating. It felt painful what he had to go through. But all of it was for a purpose. It was not meaningless. And that's what we do when we trust the process that Jesus has given us to discipline each other in the church. It's, a, it's a uncomfortable. It's foreign to the world. The world thinks it's weird. The world thinks it's, they will always find ways to complain about it. We follow it because we trust that this is God's love for us. So we'll submit to it. Um, you know, it's, it's the, the hardest people to coach are not the people who, are, who don't know anything. It's the people who know a little bit and they think they could coach the coach. The best people to coach are the people who are say, I don't know anything. I'm just going to do whatever you say. And that's how you can actually receive the loving discipline of the Lord. That's how you can actually change. 
the worst thing to be is in a place where you, 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 you cannot change, even if you want to. You can only do this when you come humbly to the Lord and you receive the loving discipline of his people. And the last thing is for those who discipline, how should we do it? Remember the goal. Remember the threefold goal that it's to preserve the honor of Christ, it's to preserve the purity of the church, and it's to um, ultimately win over the sinner, to restore them. The Bible says, before you judge your brother and sister, examine yourself, judge yourself, take out the speck. It's not saying don't take out the speck out of their eye, but, but doing it in an attitude of humility, that you're a sinner just like them. And don't, you know, First, first Corinthians chapter 5, you know the passage where the man was sleeping with his um, mother, mother, stepmother? The Bible says, why are you so arrogant by not doing anything about it? Ought you not be mourning? Aren't you... Shouldn't you be in anguish for this brother? That's the kind of heart we need to have when we discipline someone, when we confront them. There, there should be sleepless nights. There should be deliberation. There should be wrestling. That if I don't tell this person, who will? At the same time, don't die on every hill. Seek to maintain above all the unity and bond of peace of the body of Christ, which, the body which Christ died for, Ephesians chapter 4. Don't jump to fire the trigger. When humility um, approached them in gentleness and love. And recognize that discipline is not just correcting, but it's also building up. It's discipling. It's in the word. And so uh, follow the process that Jesus has given. And for those who, who, who need that discipline in their life, make yourself available. Confess your sins to your brothers and sisters. And Join a small group. Open up about your struggles. Um, find a salt who will disciple you. And in the same way, when someone does come to you in repentance, receive them in love. It's interesting because this passage ends with a parable. Because the disciples come up to him and they say, hey, oh yeah, you told us. Actually, before that, it says, if two or three of you guys agree on anything, um, I will, it will be done for them. It's not talking about if you get two or three guys and pray for winning VAY, we're going to win, or we're going to get a Lamborghini or something like that. It has to do with church discipline. When you have two or three faithful brothers and sisters who are walking with the Lord, and they agree with you on this matter. God's saying, I know it's hard, but I'm with you. Right? When the Bible says, when two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. It's not saying that you need two or three people, no matter what, in order for God to be with you. That would be a problem. Because then when we wake up in the morning, you have to run and find someone real quick to know God is with you. Unless you're married. Yeah. But uh, that's not what I was talking about. It's, it's God saying, hey, I know discipline isn't easy. I know the process is hard. And that's why I trust in my presence. I'm going to be with you. That if you faithfully follow my instructions, the church we will be the bride of Christ that is being washed by the water of the word, one day presented blameless, spotless, without wrinkle, before the bridegroom. So we trust in the process.
And, and lastly, um, I just want to end with this, right? It's, it was supposed to be the title of my sermon, but kind of, I don't know how titles work, but... <laughs> uh, no, it says in Hosea, this is, this is if, you guys, if you're in darkness right now, if you find yourself trapped and entangled in sin, if you find yourself living in hypocrisy, if you find yourself feeling like you wish someone would help you, this is the invitation of your Lord Jesus Christ. It says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, which I am looking for. Come. Let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. The reason why you could trust in the process is because you trust in the wounding healer. The one who wounds you is the very one who promises to heal you. The one who maims your leg is the very one who promises to be there to tenderly care until you're able to walk again. And how can you trust in the wounding healer? Because it's, it's scary to be wounded. It's because he's also the wounded healer. The Bible says, by his stripes, by his wounds, you are healed. You can trust in Jesus, his discipline, because he ultimately was wounded in your place so that you might be healed. And so you trust his process of discipline. You come to the light. And we become a community of grace. So with that, I want us to pray. Um, let's pray this together. Um, first, let's confess we need God's discipline. Some of us have been hiding in darkness. We are, have allowed ourselves to be enslaved to sin. And the Bible says the truth of the gospel has set us free. If you are a Christian, sin is no longer your master. Jesus is. So confess and say, Jesus, I need you. Bring me out of the darkness. Bring me back to the light. Help me to be bold enough to confess my sins, not wait until something big happens that's visible for everyone to see, even when it's in the secret and hidden. Help me to bring it to the light. Assume myself to the loving discipline of my God. And this doesn't just apply for you people, it also applies for us as pastors and leaders. Discipline applies to everyone in the church. King David was called out by Nathan the prophet when he sinned against Bathsheba. What that tells us is that even the worst sinners, even in the highest places, are not above God's discipline. But if they truly repent, God will restore them. So pray for Nathans in your life. Nathans who will speak to you in love so that you might be restored and not cast out from God's presence forever. Let's pray that together.